Season 4, Episode 4. Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of the Actual Flimsy Podcast, and today I've got a special guest. Recently I've been asking you guys out there if you have any interesting language learning stories or things about your identity or culture, anything you wanted to talk about on the podcast, to just send me in a little message on actualfluency.com forward slash guest. And one of the people who reached out was Marcus from Tasmania, uh, who was really interested in the cultural implications of language learning, including identity formation. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and, and much more. And Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, Chris. I really appreciate you having me. All right. Um, I'd also like to say thank you for um, producing the podcast. It's been wonderful to follow along your journey as a language learner and also to hear so many of the wonderful insights from various language learners and you know the greats out there also in terms of their advice. So thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be a part of the community. Thank you so much. And actually, one of the things that you wrote in the little message that you attached was the polyglot journey, uh, which I really appreciate. You know, I often talk about this. And, and why don't we start the discussion today with your polyglot journey? You know, how did you get into the wonderful world of language learning and, and cultural? Well, in many ways, my association developed through listening to the podcast. I'm a latecomer in many ways to language learning. Um, I began my educational foray into languages and the like by studying Latin and ancient Greek at university. Um, that was actually only within the last four years. I recently completed an honours thesis um, looking at uh, ancient Greek uh, poetry, particularly um, ancient Greek drama um, and ancient Greek comedy. Um, so I had a very different understanding of language learning, of something that, of it being a bookish endeavor, perhaps, of um, something quite removed from community and through being associated with so many of the wonderful, you know, polyglots that are putting their materials out there, um, like yourself and like so many of the greats, whether it be through blog format, podcast format, um, YouTube videos, of course, that really prompted me to consider learning a language that I might actually get out and speak with people. Um, so in many ways, I started out floundering, just taking on basic recommendations about the typical ways to learn a language, let's say Duolingo, um, let's say teach yourself, you know, all those sort of basic ways of starting out, getting an understanding of language. I struggled in many ways to fit that mould because I had previously learnt from essentially what is a grammar translation method with mm -hmm. Latin and ancient Greek, simply reading text, back translating into English at all times, uh, relying heavily upon adapted texts and, you know, doing grammar drills and the like before that. It's something I enjoyed and I, I loved 
the opportunity it gave me to learn more about structures within the English language. Um, but in many ways, there was still something lacking. There was still obviously an inability to speak those languages. And whilst I had the opportunities to explore so many rich aspects of the cultural history associated with those languages, it still didn't provide what living people within my own community could do. Um, so in many ways, on your recommendation, I discovered the Michelle Thomas course. Mm -hmm. And um, as my partner is German, I decided to order in the, the German Michelle Thomas course. However, through the local library, it had quite a wait time on it. And in that time, the Arabic course arrived um, first and I decided to investigate it to see how the, the structure of the Michelle Thomas course uh, worked. And I was hooked. I, I went through the entire program. I went through the foundation, the advanced, the um, vocabulary course, and that really spurred my interest to get out there and speak to people within my community, um, many of whom who had been stigmatised um, in many ways as um, uh, as foreigners, as as um, as immigrant wor workers and the like. Um, so I I felt like I really wanted to challenge those uh, misconceptions by finding out more about their story and particularly by using the language. Um, so in many ways that I've, I've been traveling along to a point now where Arabic has become a language that I have consolidated. Um, mostly I've needed to go back from the Michelle Thomas method and look at reading and writing um, as well as just um, listening and speaking and incorporating more textbook grammar focus, uh, now moving into a period of reading literature and, and the like. Um, it always comes up in discussion, where would you place yourself at this stage now? I believe I'd place myself at a B1 fluctuating in and out of a B2. I'm sure you would understand yourself with the, the level that you've For achieved sure. with Russian. You're always negotiating new uh, cultural elements within the language. Once you get beyond the, the sort of B1 one stage, you, you will learn something, go out and use it and be told, look, we don't say it. Right? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and the like. So, um, and that, yeah. but that's also created some wonderful friendships where I've been able to go back and forth with, with the language and, and um, develop that, Close, closeness um, through through the language and that encouragement that has really helped me to stick with with the language and since then it's giving me given me greater confidence to add um, languages independently now so I've also undertaken um, Persian or Farsi to and what I would suggest is an, an A2 level now which has had more of an emphasis on conversation within the community and also now beginning beginning German um, with the emphasis of, 
of, of wanting to speak with my, my partner and, and however my uh, I've been now um, focusing more so on reading and writing in order to kind of balance out that headspace of managing languages at, at a different level, a bit of a higher level now with, with Arabic and now Farsi quite conversational, but German really just, just starting out, but about really challenging that, that final barrier of, of learning my partner's language, which has been so <laughs> important to me for some time. Right. The first, uh, the first mission is, uh, is finally coming around. <laughs> <laughs> yes so you're using the uh, michelle thomas method for german again or have you i'm actually your... i'm actually not yeah so i'm actually studying that at university <coughs> now um and oh. there has been more of a traditional focus on the language um similar to how i had studied latin and ancient greek i'm going with the direct grammar drills um a lot of free writing particularly a lot of exercises um, with a little less emphasis on speaking at the moment. Well, that's fair enough. I, I think that it's it's easier to go the other way around sometimes when you have a really good overall picture of how the language works grammar-wise and writing-wise. You can, you can get back into the speaking, but it, as someone who's never really learned to write German very well, it's really tough to learn how to write after having learned how to speak, uh, at least write well. <laughs> so uh, so I, I think it's a... A fine approach is definitely usable for for vocabulary and grammar which german is of course uh, has lots of of grammar to uh, to digest absolutely and i find that really fascinating having studied latin and ancient greek because i'm getting to see where so many of the roots are very, quite different from the english language right as well and that's it's it's spurring on my curiosity to do the work each each day and the like as well. Fantastic. Uh, just when you something I really wanted to pick up on when you started the Arab uh, Arabic mission, if you were, if you want to use that term, um, you said that after you listened to all the Michelle Thomas, you had this desire to go out and and use the language with people. How how did that go? And and did you feel any sort of limitations any huge wins or what happened when you tried to go out and, and use it after such a short time really the the community here is very small in terms of the arabic speaking community but they have been so encouraging and so accepting um one thing that really rang true with me was your um interview with arena pravet who mentioned it's important to use a little bit of the language uh, as you're learning. And that's in many ways what I did sometimes hearing a little bit of Arabic and using what I could to initiate conversation meant that we could then switch to English and hear a little bit more about each other's stories and about our motivations for our, our lives here in, in Tasmania, Australia, our, our employment, our families and, you know, our cultural associations and the like. So um, everyone was always very supportive. There were certainly times where I had gotten a little in over my head in terms of understanding what was coming back at me. <laughs> um, there's also the difficulty with having learned one dialect of, um, of Arabic in Egyptian dialect. I had to navigate that realm also with more formal dialects and the like. 
um, represented within the community here, um, particularly Saudi Arabian dialects of the Haliji strand and and the like. So yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been progressive at all points, and those relationships have been developing, but they've been very fulfilling at all times. And I've never went gone away from a situation and felt like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't feel confident about the next time and, and wanting to speak more with those people and incorporate. Um, and that, that really helped shape what I wanted to learn next, having moved away from coursework material, wanting to create, I guess, uh, descriptors that were relevant to my my current circumstances and and my motivations and the like, which would only then spur on uh, spur on that inspiration. Exactly, and and motivation and inspiration, I guess, is is a byproduct of the relationship you get with the language, or or indeed the speakers of the language. And if people are very dismissive of the idea that foreigners are learning the language, like you've sometimes heard about in Scandinavia, for instance, where it's almost like a, well, why would you do that kind of attitude? It's tough to be, it's tough to feel super inspired and motivated if they all speak great English and they don't really care if you speak Danish or Swedish or whatever. Um, Absolutely. And that's meant a lot to me in terms of following those views also, because in many ways I, 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 have been resisting against those attitudes for so long myself here in, in monolingual Australia. Right. And uh, so what's, yeah, maybe you can share a little bit more about that because certainly for, for me, I've never been even close to Australia. And, and before the <laughs> recording, we talked about that you're probably the furthest guest from me that I could have. Um, so, so maybe you can share a little bit about the, the, kind of the attitude towards foreign languages in Australia and Tasmania and New Zealand because we know about America, we know about England, I think, to a large extent. We often hear about that, but how is it actually in, in down, down south, as they say? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, sadly, I myself missed out on any opportunities to study a language in school. Um, generally, those sorts of opportunities are made less available to people living in regionalized areas. It's been very dependent upon having both financial backing and the resources in the form of native speakers and the like. Of course, this is pre-internet age um, when I studied in school myself. And so again, it, it relied upon the resources of the local community. Um, more generally, uh, there has been attitudes directed towards the, in many ways, the, a real lack of um, positive development in, in language uh, learning more generally and also in, and cultural learning also. It's, um, Australia has been one of those countries where generally people are expected to assimilate Right. Um, and I myself had uh, come from a background with a Hungarian father and an Irish mother um, and had had associations with many other people growing up who had come from uh, migrant and immigrant backgrounds. 
but whose parents did not continue their home language with them. They had an idea that in Australia we speak English and therefore um, there were also varying attitudes towards the effect um, that would have on children developing, you know, 20, 30 years ago and the like. And now in many ways we're seeing the, um, the ramifications of those decisions where there are people like myself who are struggling to develop a sense of their own identity as displaced peoples having a yearning to understand something about their cultural heritage, um, whether that uh, be European or, or, or British or something in a wider construct perhaps uh, as well. And so it's been uh, a difficult process for myself in terms of um, coming to define what was important to me um, in relation to my identity because of those limitations on uh, cultural and language um, learning opportunities in Australia. That's that's pretty that's pretty bad, I guess. When when you can't even when you don't even get the choice or the offer in the first place, that's I mean. It is. I mean, for myself, it took going through my, my undergraduate to realise that languages were something that I was interested in. Um. <laughs> That's pretty pretty late <laughs> when you consider that in Europe, you suddenly in Scandinavia, you, you start English, you know, when you're eight, ten years old. And by then you've already watched 20 seasons of Friends or whatever series is going on, on the TV every day. Um, so you've got lots of... Uh, there's lots of immersion already happening without you realizing it. Hmm. Absolutely. Attitudes certainly are, are shifting here and particularly in a regionalized area like Tasmania, I'm being uh, informed more about the, um, the integration of technology and the like and, and moving away from, you know, those regionalized areas being disadvantaged. Um, the the other situation with uh, language learning in Australia particularly is that it doesn't necessarily follow the same viewpoint as uh, the European schools do, which is that certain languages are ranked in difficulty. Uh, generally in Australia, languages are regarded due to their um, due to their locality status and their their um, minority status and the association within communities. So in, in many ways, our the languages that are best represented in schooling systems here in, in Tasmania are what European schools would consider to be the hardest languages. Um, they are uh, to Mandarin Chinese due to our proximity, obviously, to China and, and Arabic being another, another big one due to uh, immigration here in Australia, as well as um, Greek and Italian and and uh, many of the, the languages that were brought here um, during the, the influx of the um, migrations after World War Two. Cool. cool. Um, in your little bio, you also wrote that you're a cultural enthusiast. Can you just yes, give, I... give a little explanation as to, to what that means? And, and I feel like in many ways what started my my journey as a as a polyglot was your first episode chris wow. which was with Dave, david david manseret 
and he described himself as a polymath. Right. Somebody who loved to learn as much as he as he could, a lover of, of learning, um, so to speak. And I find that I identified so greatly with that perspective. Um, I had worked for a number of years in order to support myself. Uh, I, I did a, an apprenticeship here in, in Australia before later on deciding that I would go to university to somewhat rediscover what it is I, I wanted to do with my life. Um, and in many ways, I I really struggled with the I, the the concept of university level education. Um, I struggled to navigate the realm of academia. I felt like I wasn't cut out for it. Um, and it was actually within the ancient history program at one of the universities here that first enabled me to feel like I, I can get through these hurdles. I had a wonderful lecturer who was very supportive of my writing, um, who was a, was a very much a, one of an important mentor in, in my life at that stage. And the enthusiasm and the passion that he had for the Latin language and for the ancient world and for the... I mean, I mean, he just breathed life into um, the ancient world. So I became captivated by the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks. And to me, it represented an opportunity to learn in many ways what I saw to be an elite, uh, learn within an elite sphere that I, I something I would have been denied um, throughout my my earliest attempt at schooling, having gone to school in, in a regionalised area, having missed out on, on language learning and, and the like. And and so, um, yeah, that really helped. I, in many ways, my original focus was on archaeology, was on classics and ancient literature. And from there, I finally made the plunge to study the languages themselves and, and learn more about the roots and the history of the English language and therefore make comparisons with other languages developed from, from Latin in the in the Romance sphere and the like. And, and that, yeah, just really helped me to, to define what it is that was important to me, how I wanted to identify myself to others. And in many ways, it's exactly as, as David um, described in that first episode, a, a lover of learning, somebody who's yearning to learn, but also in many ways he encouraged me to realize that what you are is always changing. Um, you can't really define yourself based on a set of experiences, whether it be in school or in your teenage years. So it helped me to say, well, I can redefine myself as an educated person. 
and I can have success learning independently in, in other spheres, whether it be within science, within literature, within philosophy, and now I can transfer that and have success in something else as an independent learner, learning about languages, but of course learning about the history and the culture that goes hand in hand with those languages and with the people that I now engage with and I find it so important to take a it's so important to take the opportunity to orient yourself towards whatever it is that you feel could you could be passionate about so for me I remember when I first started Latin I read a natural history of Latin and when I started studying archaeology I read magazine articles um, on archaeology and now having studied uh, informally so many aspects of language learning I've now come to a point where I'm uh, deciding now I've undertaking a master's of, of applied linguistics so really formalizing that training now and hoping to also, like yourself, get out there and promote the value of language learning and to assist others in their goals also. But that came out of a very informal association that started, you know, in many ways with with following your journey as, as let's say, as an average language learner, which really did inspire me um, to just get started and... and think about where I wanted to, to go. That's super cool, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, super cool to hear that, uh, that, <laughs> that this podcast is not only for uh, fun and jokes uh, all the time, that people are actually listening to the stuff that we babble on about sometimes and actually take it to, to heart. Because I, I fundamentally believe that we're capable of doing anything. Uh, like some guys, you know, 40, 50 years ago, had the idea that we could send a, a ship to the moon. And, you know, that seemed like crazy at the time, but obviously it was possible. So that guy became a genius. And I, I feel like we can apply that thinking to just about anything. People might think, oh, it's really hard to, uh, to study uh, neuroscience. Well, if you're interested in how the brain works, there's a neuroscience for dummies. It's on my Absolutely. Kindle. Uh, you can start, you know, slowly, but it's really hard to learn something if you resist it mentally and say, if we bring it back to languages, for instance, if we say, oh, I'm not a language learner, I can't learn German and speak to my wife or, you know, a friend from Dusseldorf or whatever. Um, <clears throat> the the belief that you can't do something is really, really uh, rock solid. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. And it's really, it's, it's sad in many ways that people don't take their success from learning in other spheres and apply it to language learning because had I not been able to do that, I, I think that I would still be struggling against those things as well. It's because, and yet, you know, we do, we see people who, who go out and they, they start a, they, they, they start a, a degree in nursing at, in, in their mid thirties and they succeed and they, they, they're teaching themselves things that they've never had an association with, yet they're still 
going to tell themselves that they can't learn languages because of the experiences they had in school. Or just uh, pressure from the outside or myths. <laughs> just uh, It's not possible to learn language when you're an adult. I mean, that is yeah. someone I hear a lot uh, from people. And in fact, when I talk to people in general and I sort of explain what I'm doing, they say, oh, but... I don't have a talent for language learning. Oh, I, I, I didn't learn as a child, so now I can't learn it. I guess the fundamental problem is really that our brain is is telling us things that aren't true because we can learn anything we want. And I, I'm really happy that you discovered that. And I guess at, at a very opportune time during academic struggle and uh, the idea that you can, you can turn... And, well, not negatives necessarily, but you can turn hardship into strengths as well. Like uh, a good example I got from Arena recently is uh, she said, I used to really hate doing the dishes. And as someone who hates doing the dish dishes with a passion, I was, you know, my ears perked up and I was like, okay, go on. She said that <laughs> instead of seeing it as something, you know, a chore and something that has to be done and just a negative experience overall she reframed it and made it into basically a, a sort of a, a meditative state where she takes a, br a break from whatever she's doing and she just stands there for 15 20 minutes whatever how long it takes and maybe even put some kind of audio content on a podcast or a, you don't even have to you can also just put some chants on like uh, you know some background music and just take a breather and, and try to focus on finding finding yourself. And she said after she did that, doing the dishes was the best time of her day. And I was like, hmm, that's a really interesting Absolutely. example. <laughs> yeah. And I think it is about taking the aspects of a setting that really makes something enjoyable for you. And I think, you know, that's been key in many ways with, uh, with, I think myself, a lot of other people's uh, language learning journeys in the world as well, you can talk about, you know, learning as a chore or you can actually start to structure what you're doing based on your interests and what is um, exciting to you. And therefore, it, it, it is no longer a chore. You, it doesn't necessarily, I always make a a point for myself to simply discover something new about my target languages and sometimes that's simply picking up a book it may even be an English translation of a famous work or the like but just trying to understand some aspect of it and generally that will lead into you know a half an hour 45 minute study session anyway but it's it's about sparking that interest and saying like I'm curious about this concept or this idea or this this word i'll look it up and then all of a sudden you're writing out notes and and practicing the these phrases and the like but then of course you get out there and you you incorporate that little bit of learning uh for myself you know it might be like a small line of hafez's poetry in farsi as i'm getting out in the the community and then i get to hear so much more about somebody's own association with that that piece or, or the like and I think I'm so proud that I I spent the time learning those two lines to then go out and and utilize to then get that story to get that that inspiration to to go further because that's not studying a language that's not work then it's it's 
it's about learning yes but um but in a very a very uplifting way and you've got the end goal in mind as well or at least a, a one of the end goals and that is to use it to speak to someone or use it to speak about and uh, that's something absolutely. that sometimes also fails because uh when we have this sort of uh, polyglot community where everyone is excited about learning languages sometimes you forget that it it's actually a tool it's not it's not the end goal to know german or have 2000 words in your vocabulary it's actually to use it to something uh could be reading uh, absolutely could be, could be talking to people uh, but it sounds, it like, it sounds like you find case. that very natural um having that end goal for your languages it certainly is the case i think that's where the idea of being a cultural enthusiast um comes across but it's also very different because of my environment uh here in a regionalized area where i am not having the opportunity to go to a polyglot pub or a polyglot club and the like and use those introductory phrases and hi how are you going nice to see you here haven't seen you in a long time um you know i'm i'm having to then build more lasting relationships with people here and it's difficult you do get emotionally invested in their stories and sometimes that can be even more troubling with a language barrier because you want to express the utmost empathy for the situation perhaps when dealing with somebody like a refugee who has the opportunity to use a little bit of the language to gain an association but then is also now using their second language in English to explain to you um a particular aspect of what they may have went through it, it is very difficult to not want to then have the vocabulary and and the understanding to express the hurt that you identify with um with them and and i think that's why it's been so important for me to hang on to those moments and to go away use that as inspiration to learn more and then to to come back and continue to build those friendships and and those relationships um within the community it's also helped me identify in myself what's particularly important about my own identity what i would call identity realization much rather than formation <laughs> right um because it is it has allowed me to emphasize certain aspects growing up in australia um it is very common for people to have migrant and immigrant heritage but as i also suggested it's also very common for that to be um pushed to the side when you're being socialized growing up and the like so it was it was very interesting to me that when i started to engage with refugee communities here it was actually very important for me to learn the vocabulary to talk about who my father was as a hungarian person who came here and supplanted his home language with english and who integrated and how it's also equally important now 
raising my son for him to have the opportunity to embrace his cultural heritage in a, a in a, a newly developing society here in Australia and one that welcomes uh, people such as refugees also. So, yeah, it was, it was very interesting to me to think, well, my Hungarian heritage was of little relevance um, if I were to speak with a group of, of high school friends and the like. But in this context, it was actually deeply connected to who I wanted to portray myself as uh, when dealing with with these people. So That's interesting. What, why do you think that came up? Um, I think it was my my only means of empathizing with their position in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I chose to, to, but I, I, I say that now, but you know, they also helped me to realize that it was important to me and it was important to realizing my own identity within myself. Um, despite the fact that that has created barriers also, you know, I often kick myself as how I can go out and learn Arabic to this level, to a, to a B1, to a B2 level, to, to utilise Farsi conversationally, but to not successfully learn my home language or <laughs> right. and the like in Hungarian. So, Yeah, well, I mean, as someone who's learning Hungarian, you definitely have a, a big, uh, let's say, present of, of enjoyment there if you're into the grammar and and technically these difficult languages so that that may be a later challenge <laughs> <laughs> thank you no it certainly will be will be on my list great i mean i guess what what i hear is sort of when you explain that you meet these refugees i guess what you think is in a way is, i guess suppose especially in australia as you say where many people have immigrant immigrant uh, heritage in a way we're all immigrants in a, somewhere somehow uh, uh, i mean it's very few people who are completely pure blood ba- dating back to the aristocrats of that country or whatever um, absolutely well in 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 our case it's it's even sadder because you know to learn one of the indigenous languages um you're very limited, of course, with so many of them having been displaced, even obliterated um, with with European occupation. So it's a very sad circumstance in that respect. Yeah, so you want to completely you know, connect on, a, on an emotional level as well. And identity is a tough one, I would say. And how do you... I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on, on identity more, more broadly because as we talked about in a few episodes ago with Arena... We talked about how tough it is to, or how tough it can be to find your own identity when you're so interested in so many cultures and maybe you have a very diverse background and and maybe you live in a foreign environment or you've, uh, yeah, you've emigrated from home and suddenly you're finding yourself questioning your very fundamentals. And as someone who's done that in their home country, what are your thoughts on, on that? Absolutely. I think in many ways it's important to it's important to be mindful that your own understanding of your identity 
is, as David Mansaray suggested um, early on, it, it is really flexible and it is ever evolving. And so I have always tried to tried to be very mindful of what opportunities have come up even now with with having a desire and an interest in in languages that are even so thoroughly removed from how I could perhaps most naturally identify um, you know obviously being an Australian and not somebody um, from uh, from an Arabic uh, speaking background initially and the like, but having such a close affinity with the language now and with the cultural elements and and even with um, with morality and with worldview, it's very um, it's very important to it sounds cliche but to to just go with it to really think okay there are there are natural forces. Um, that are encouraging me to explore certain aspects um, of my, whether it be cultural heritage or whether it be um, associations with um, with other cultures, with with languages, with parts of the world. I mean, I myself, my my heart, I have felt for the longest time, is floating on the Danube. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, but, and so that is important for me to explore that, even if it's just to pick up, you know, pick up a coffee table book and look at pictures of Budapest and to see, you know, what I long to see with my own eyes, I think it's important to, to really go with that. And that's why my study sessions have, have developed so much out of just a curiosity of, of one particular aspect or wanting to say one thing or, or the like, um, when it comes to identity, I think it doesn't need to be such a conscious process. I think identity formation has never really fit with my understanding. I've always gone with the idea of identity realization and that there are many aspects and many opportunities to realize um, what defines your identity had I not had the opportunity to go through my university studies I wouldn't have realized that I had the capacity to be an educated person (laughs) and to set an example for my son and to um, and to have success learning in a sphere um, academically that could then transfer not only to learning independently, but helping others learn now as I go on to study to be a teacher and, and the like. And, and of course, as I, as I impart my wisdom onto my, my son also. Um, and so, yeah, I think in many ways I wasn't, I wasn't defining myself as, the sort of person that I wanted to be. And now I've been able to be a little more mindful of each influence in my life, whether it be meeting a person or whether it be reading a book or whether it be coming across an article or even whether it be uh, having a, a particular thought. It's helped me now to, to think about how that can influence my um my understanding of who I would like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so it is difficult because then it does sound like a conscious thing. Um, I think we in in the language learning community, I think identity formation is really tied to that exploration of another another culture or another another language. I don't think it needs to be so constrained. Um, I think, for instance, I think you could still be studying within a thoroughly Western um, discourse and yet have associations with Confucianism and uh, perhaps an moralizing worldviews associated with the East. I don't think that you need to thoroughly invest yourself in Asian culture to explore that. Just like similarly people who are coming from uh, foreign language learning backgrounds to learn English for professional purposes or to their advance their careers doesn't necessarily mean that they can't discover aspects of the uh, the culture associated with their learning uh, surrounds um, that fit with their own uh, their own ideals initially it's not I think the the idea of teaching cultural uh, elements within language learning has been really uh, over-strategized in terms of trying, I mean, and particularly when you're dealing with a language like English, which in fact has many cultures associated Mm -hmm. with it and there is no one defining uh, culture, I think it is very difficult to, because then it's also hard for people to discover what's important for them. I think the other thing is important when it comes to identities and language learning is that um, they're very much they're very much characterized by imagined identities and imagined communities that people are struggling to navigate into throughout the learning process. And I find, for instance, an example can be people learning English for professional purposes. They may have had a professional career in their own country and they want to be immediately accepted into that new realm of academia in the English language. But of course there is that, that hurdle of overcoming the, the language barrier, but also that let's say cultural barrier, but that's not necessarily um, defined by nationality or the like that's defined by socialization practices within um, within Western discourse, within business discourse um, and professional discourse and, and the like. And I think there's also it's also important to realise that people have varying levels of investment in that as well. So it's not yeah. solely about motivation but about their, um, you know, that, that pull of that heartstring in many ways. Sure. I, I, so also <clears throat> just to sum up that, it seems like you you say that identity is very moldable, is very flexible, and it, it's a snapshot of our current uh, position uh, mentally, uh, psychologically, physically, <laughs> I guess also, um, and that we shouldn't be try to commit to be one thing at any given time. Always be open for for new ideas and 
and and the last part i guess is that it, it's pretty random at times like the reason we're talking now is because of a series of a long series of coincidences leading back to you know years back when you were in doing the university degree and i was uh well i don't even remember how i got started on the path i guess i was all, all the way back in in primary school when i when i was really fascinated by german of course throughout the way i got sidetracked and i i lost that i i forgot that passion and that interest but i i really appreciate where i am i really appreciate kind of the i guess the the blessed uh, destiny in a way i don't really believe in destiny or fate or anything like that but i think that where we are is it's largely a, a coincidence and and i really i just appreciate it you know i just appreciate that i get the chance to talk to you today for instance absolutely and and as do i because part of that realization process for me was very much tied to the the confidence that grew within yourself and the discussions that you had particularly on your solo podcasts about your struggles and the like so that that really did help me because they're those sorts of things that give you indirect advice they give you the opportunity to reflect upon your own position in the world and and how you want as I say that they're the things that make you think about how you want to define yourself and you know a big one for me was very much tied to your experience was you know part of redefining myself or realizing who I wanted to be was do I want to be unhappy do I want to be depressed mm -hmm. um and the like and so um yeah it's it I you know I I just want to say ultimately that I and I know many other listeners are very proud of where you've come to. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I guess one final thing that I did see before we move on to uh, relationships, which I always uh, also wanted to talk to you about today, is yep. um, sometimes I think identity gets tied into values a little bit. So it seems like, yep. whereas I think values are fixed. I mean, you have your ultimate values deep down if you want to change your values that to me is quite a serious and long-term it I mean, takes conscious effort absolutely yeah, that's an exposure to to a series of of mental changes i would say for for values to change because they're just so ingrained in who we are but i think the identity is is only a part of that so i don't think that necessary just because you start I don't know, just because if you find something culturally interesting and something that doesn't mean that your core values are changing, it just means that your your identity is developing. And for me, it doesn't, we'll never lose track of the values, which by the way, I think is also really cool to reflect on what are my values? What do I value the most in life? And what are my core values also? And there's a lot written on mm -hmm. the subject, of course. Um, whereas I think the identity for me is a, is a very sort of fleeting snapshot like you mentioned before like david also said that well if you if you want to be for instance i just took up chess trying to become better at chess um that wasn't part of my identity before but now yeah. i i do kind of consider it part of my identity you know kind of a i guess i would call it a um an intellectual pursuit outside of learning well it's, it's actually learning as well but it's definitely an intellectual pursuit for me 
Absolutely. And the important thing to do within the realisation process of identity is to grasp those opportunities and simply reflect upon them. It's about enjoying what what seemingly feels right at the time and then taking time later to reflect upon it, but also not at the same time, and this may sound counterintuitive, to not overthink it and therefore... Um, and therefore think about why it is that that has suddenly um, started to shape or to mould a new identity for myself. It's really just about saying, like, these are these coincidental uh, circumstances keep cropping up and they're important to me and I need to continue to, to embrace it. And whether that be... And, and, I mean, look, I know the people that have this difficulty the most are people who want to study eight nine ten languages (laughs) at one time right because they're wanting to to explore various aspects of those languages and i think that there are ways to do that intelligently with that because again the investment is different the motivation can it can be the same, but the investment in those languages may be different. And for, um, you know, for some people, it may just be enjoyable to use that small amount to give that confidence in a social encounter and the like. And I, you know, I, I, I really, I, I really believe that, that that's a great thing to be doing also, you know, to just go, okay, like I have all these, wild interests and and i want to explore as many of them as possible because that that does help you simply realize opportunity and like you say you never know where it will lead you you never know that in two years it might lead to meeting perhaps the mother of your child or or the the father of your your child um or um you know an opportunity to travel to to take on new work opportunities so it really is just about seizing what what means something to you now right and there's nothing better for me to look back and 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 see that happen and for instance two years ago i don't think i could imagine having gone to new york uh, you know to uh, just casually going to new york to a language conference you know if you told me back then i I would have questioned that very dearly because first of all financially it's really expensive to go to new york to america in general and secondly language conference like why <laughs> so Absolutely. I, I i find that great and i use that with my languages also I, I i if i feel like i'm a little bit down on myself for for my language ability which is quite often to be honest um i will sometimes say well how much russian did i know two years ago and i think back and i was like i think i knew how to say da pretty much <laughs> and and then i just realized well i can watch russian tv shows now and yeah, I don't understand everything and I can't have like super deep conversations yet, but the realization that you've come really far sometimes is a great counter to the thoughts that, oh, I have really far to go. Uh, because that's um, kind of the natural reaction when you talk about learning a language is, oh, I, I need to climb this Mount Fluency or whatever. And in reality you've already done so much work but because of cognitive biases i guess uh, we just don't realize it i mean it's really hard to know how much you actually do know unless you've been quizzed on it and i mean why would you do that (laughs) so 
for me and and that's about having a different motivation for for the learning and it's about realizing what's really important in terms of you know i think you've defined yourself over this period more as somebody who is simply invested in the learning process and in in um and in experiencing what it is to make those gains um with the language and of course to build those relationships with the people that you've been meeting within the community and the like, as I felt I have been able to do through a channel such as your podcast. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you hit the nail on the head there. (laughs) It's, it's definitely true. And speaking of relationships, uh, the importance of building lasting relationships, I don't think many people doubt the importance but what is it that foreign languages or especially learning foreign languages can do for this this uh, fascinating aspect of human nature? Well, I think in one aspect, there's obviously the language learning community. So in many ways, I feel like I've developed my own association with yourself and with many of the, um, with the guests that you've featured as well, you know, gaining the confidence and the understanding and the, the wisdom um, from many of those minds and, and listening to them each week, placing myself in a particular uh, a particular exper- experience or difficulty in my my life at that time and, and, and feeling inspired or, or the like has really helped to, you know, feel as though I've built lasting relationships um, in, in a community that has been very supportive behind the scenes of my own progression and advancement. Um, So that's first and foremost. Um, But as I say, I've also been very fortunate um, to to utilise my language with um, community members who I'm able to identify and and get out and and see every now and again, whether it be my son playing at the park and and running into other parents, hearing a little bit of the language and questioning where people are from and and the like. So I I have been very fortunate living in a regionalised area that I, I can do that. And I'm also very fortunate that we do have some small level traffic coming through here with university programs and the like from various parts of the world. Um, I made it a real point to learn a little bit of uh, the languages that were represented in my community simply to say hello and perhaps welcome Mm -hmm. uh, here in Australia. And and that was often met with with utmost enthusiasm from uh, those initial forays. into the language and of course um i made many efforts there for for that to flourish into friendships and the like so i remember myself when i first met the first persian speaking uh refugees here in my community uh i i said to them hello salam and they offered me uh some some fruit and i made a real point uh to learn uh, to to learn a very very simple phrase uh, to say that this fruit is a gift, and so I and I, I went back to the the park with my son every day for eight days until I and I was picking apricots from a, from a, our tree each day, and of course each day they had to come home and be utilised in some way. Luckily, our son was was quite young; he was just 
devouring fruit. Um, so yeah, each day I would pick this little bit in the hopes of being able to offer them something in, in return and, and, and say to them, you know, my little phrase, me there, but farmer, you and, 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 and it, you know, it allowed them to develop a, a trusting relationship, um, which then gave me the opportunity to hear <laughs> their great. stories. Um, yeah. And Did I mean, it, succeed? Know, it did in the end eighth day, I, I was able to give them some fruit from our fruit tree and to, you know, to use a little more of the language to, to give them my name and to explain why I, I've learned, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to learn their language. And and from there each time, you know, I could come away with something I didn't quite understand that I could look up and sure. and I could learn a little bit more from a phrase book or the like and try to talk about the weather in a different different way to engage conversation and and it's been so fulfilling to have that motivation outside of say you know practicing all of your languages so that you can go to a polyglot meetup and and as i say use hi how are you and and all that um within the constraints of a few moments before that that relationship you know dissipates um and of course with my arabic learning which i've now taken to an intermediate level it's been uh so incredibly um encouraging to get out there and explain my motivations for learning which i think is tied to my identity now as a language learner what do you answer Um, when they ask um i feel like now um i quite honestly embrace the fact that it is about exploring um, things that seem or feel important to me and I'm going on that hunch of, of learning more and, and, and trying to, to get away from the idea that because it's from another culture, it can't fit with my current identity or my uh-huh. Western Western socialization and the like. So, yeah, I do explain to them the, the values and the... Um, and the certain things that fit with me throughout my learning as well. Obviously, with with learning a language, you do you learn pieces of you know sec, you, you study sections of literature and the like, and and you think about the the concepts. And you know, it's it's amazing to think about the you know three or four lines that I may have worked on in a passage one evening, and how that will resonate with me the next day. Um, for instance, I read a passage in Arabic that spoke about uh, a person who was complaining about his poverty and he was advised to go out and to gather firewood um, and then he was able to sell that wood and provide food for his his family. Now, the day after I, I read that, I um, was given an opportunity through a friend of mine to actually do some some work and that work was was chopping firewood and the like which you know as students certainly was welcomed in terms of having any opportunity but that has also been developing into a really great relationship where I'm asking that person about their cultural heritage and and what's important to them and discovering oh well actually my father was Polish and I'd love to learn the language but I've always told myself I couldn't and so now I'm able to bring my expertise you know this is all conducted in English but it, it's able to I'm able to say well I, I've been studying 
you know, informally language learning. I'm now studying my Masters of Applied Linguistics and I can give you a lot of great advice from this wonderful podcast that says, hey, you know, like, you don't have to put it off. As an older person, you can still be successful in learning. You know, Michelle Thomas has a Polish course. If you'd love to explore that aspect of your of your heritage, well, I can enable you in some way and, and give you some confidence like others did to me. Um, and so that's, that's why I think it's important to just take those little elements and think about how they... Um, how they can build on the relationships that you're trying to create within um, the language learning community. And as I say, like the, the greatest enjoyment I get is, is in the struggle, is in when there's a little bit that I can't understand or, and, and then they can, you know, perhaps explain it to me, you know, obviously when, when, when again, being fortunate enough that many of the speakers I encounter also speak English, they can break down, you know, aspects that I don't understand or, or explain uh, the cultural nuances of, of what um, they have just said to, to me and the like. And and I never forget learning in those uh, in those experiences. So that's another thing that's helped to to build those relationships because I have such a love of learning. For them to encourage that by teaching me even just a line. Um, in their language, and no, I never forget what I've learned in those experiences. Yeah, what a what a wonderful world we would have if, if more people were, were like you. Because uh, you're really <laughs> doing you. a great job for your for your your community. But I mean, we're not hiding the fact that it's also for you, of course. It's, uh, if not mainly for you, but you're definitely doing a great job for the community. And you remind me a little bit of of, of Richard Benson, who was on the podcast. Uh, I guess about a dozen episodes or so ago, maybe more. Absolutely, yeah. He yes. um, he spoke out to me very much so in in terms of being somebody who's who's taken a very different approach to teaching yeah. in, in within a community. It's it's it's. I think he's he's giving more than he's teaching. He's he's um, he's learning. You know, uh, the funny story was uh, he, he the 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 guy in the uh, parking house. He was sitting there and he, he wasn't Somali, so he was like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from, uh, <laughs> where was he from? I, I forgot, but it's, it's, um, did he speak Amrik or something? And he was like, oh, i got to go home and learn how to say hi in Amrik now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have that difficulty all the time with trying to take on board advice from the podcasts and, and people who say, you know, stick with your target language, focus entirely on on that and I do very much the same thing I meet a new person from and I go now I have to learn that language because yeah. I want to have I want to have that invested relationship with those people and look a lot of what I I began doing came out of my desire to simply help people with English with doing informal English cafe scenarios and the like with tutoring at a local migrant resource center and wanting to ease that process by simply using a bit of language and even using it in the wrong way. That's what gave me great confidence because if I made mistakes, it showed them that it's okay to do so in English and it created, you know, laughter and eased that tension. And so that's another way that I've been able to really build some lasting relationships with people here, with young people who are going to go on and reshape 
the social identity of Australia and reshape the opportunities that are available to people like my son, younger people growing up who can be very proud of their cultural heritage and who can be um, be very proud to speak another language and the like um, in the home or to simply be aware that, you know, there are other languages out there and to be a little more open-minded as Australians have typically been regarded well, yeah. defunct in that regard. Well, but you're not alone. I, I mean, the, 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 what I'm thinking about is, is particularly in America, there's a big, very uh, protective almost, uh, or they think they're protective anyway. Of, they're very scared of foreign cultures and languages. So when, when, let's say, there's a big Hispanic population in an American city, often you'll have a great divide where... When and you, and you think it's quite crazy, right? Because I mean, you learning Arabic—that's that's quite an achievement. Th- those languages are really, really different and completely fundamentally different, even. But for an English person to learn, let's say, ten Spanish phrases and be forthcoming instead of saying, "Oh, those immigrants" or whatever, you know, that would change the world in America. Well, that would change definitely life in America as we know it, because you would have much more welcoming uh, attitude towards foreign cultures and it would be super easy and the community would benefit. You would benefit personally because it's just such a fulfilling or such a, well, it's such a good feeling, isn't it? To be able to actually welcome someone, to make someone feel at home instead of trying to say, oh, you don't speak English? Well, okay, sorry, we speak English in Australia or in America, you know, go home and learn it. When in fact, you could spend 15 minutes and you'd know how to say a few phrases in Spanish, which could really open up new relationships, new uh, Absolutely. bonds. And what I often discover is that many of the people I say hello to have learned English, but just haven't had that really positive social encounter to use it productively and generally you know, saying hello to them in their language can really ease that tension. And that's where, in fact, my most profound experiences with um, with, with some of the, the community groups here have been in English. Um, but after they had the confidence to really express... It's uh, just an attitude, you know, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's not how much of the language you speak or don't speak. It's just the attitude that you say... I am welcoming towards your culture. I'm not trying to look at you as some kind of uh, leech on our society that who are just here to take our natural resources. I'm actually seeing you at, for the person you are with a valuable history and cultural heritage, and I'm I'm and I'm also that also that I'd love to share in it. And and I think again that's that's something that we've often constrained ourselves when it comes to thinking about our own identity we have these fleeting experiences where we think oh i feel really drawn to that aspect of asian philosophy but i mean how could i ever embrace it i'm not asian therefore so i think it's very important to to just to just explore that as best you can at that that moment because you'll lose that opportunity and you'll put up that barrier that prevents you from ever exploring it in the future be open yeah. and welcoming, yeah. especially now with uh, Europe uh, getting a lot of uh, Sir- Syrian refugees. So, I mean, that would be an, a, a great opportunity to learn a little bit of, of Arabic and, and get to know exactly 
what what's going on there how what is because when you see syria on the tv it's like you know it's a war zone and it's a dictatorship and it's it sounds like a terrible disaster so if you could actually go and speak to people from there you know that what kind of amazing view of the world or indeed syria could you get from that kind of encounter and and how much better could you make their lives because they feel like they're completely isolated from the rest of the non-arabic speaking europe so absolutely and in many ways i mean i was very it's hard to 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 discuss to discuss such topics but i was very much uh, i was very much apologies i i just take a, a moment i i couldn't help but i i couldn't help but feel like there was a, a sense of purpose in the ways I came to learn the Arabic language when I obviously heard for myself in my own community we're taking on 500 very small number of, of Syrian refugees but I thought perhaps in some way I'm now better prepared to ease the transition of just a few of those families and, and the like and, and certainly I don't want to feel like you know it's due to their suffering that i now have that that opportunity but i i certainly do see it as as that as an opportunity and i know that many tasmanians are welcoming those 500 arrivals and we're very much um implementing you know ways that we can you know can make that transition process easy for them and hopefully see you know opportunities for their children to grow up in a, a scenario just like my own where there is very little limitation on, on their their lives now here in Australia yeah and hopefully learning learning arabic as well as english as they grow up absolutely Or and yeah, again <laughs> again really shifting that that focus away from uh you know from the assimilation uh, aspects that went with the previous generations yeah. yeah it's quite unfortunate that 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 happened but you see the same pattern in america in in england as well i suppose it's just you just see that people have this assumption that if and i uh, maybe uh, rightly so that if you wanted to do something in that country english was your target language i mean you had to have english to have a good career and and so i guess a lot of the parents back then just i guess they just started sort of they went too far a little bit on the uh, on the uh, integration and and they just switched to mm -hmm. english in in an attempt to i guess fit in better but if we had been more approaching if we had been more welcoming i'm saying we as a sort of 19 30s 1950s <laughs> world uh if we had been more welcoming to, to foreign cultures and languages to begin with we would have just had lots of languages all over the place and there would be it would be a, a symbiotic relationship instead of this either or and, and i think importantly you wouldn't have so many people out there now of our own generation trying desperately to realize or to define their own identities 
yeah, learn the language of their grandfather or whatever, you know, it's, there's, I hear that all the time. People are uh, saying, oh yeah, my family came from Poland or, you know, Denmark even sometimes I hear and mm. I'm like, so do you know any language? Not really. <laughs> and it's just, it's well, just sad in a way. The saddest thing is that in my own scenario, working as a teaching English as a second and other language uh, tutor, I'm encountering scenarios where children are favoring English over their home language and they're obviously learning at such a phenomenal rate being socialized through school yeah. and the like that they're actually losing the opportunity to speak with their immediate parents here. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a very sad scenario. And, and I think the, the first step is about changing attitudes towards the value of those languages within the community. Yeah. Welcome them instead of shun them and just appreciate them because obviously the parents are not doing it on purpose. They're just doing it because that's the nature of, of the community they came to uh, some time ago where it was just, if you were speaking in Polish, then people were just like, oh, they're foreign, they're speaking foreign again, you know, and it's, yeah. I guess it was a question of fitting in or something. And in a more recent context, I mean, people are struggling in many ways uh, to to do exactly what we're doing. You know, people coming to English-speaking countries as adults are struggling with the limited resources to learn English whilst their children are receiving a thorough immersion environment. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. There's a bit of a paradox going on there uh, where yeah. the, the children are not learning the, the, the original language and the, the parents or, or whatever want to learn want to learn the English as well. So I, I don't quite understand how that works, but it's definitely a bit of a, a, a split world in that sense. It is, and it and it is very isolating, and I think it will lead to more, um, more difficulties for people to navigate that realm of identity realization. Yeah, because it goes both way, doesn't both ways, doesn't it? I just realized that when, for instance, if you have a uh, a large group in a community of of a certain background, let's say Chinese or whatever, uh, it's very actually isolating for that sub-community in, within the community so they don't get the contact with the English speakers at all and therefore they don't learn the English um, yeah. so that's that's probably the, the problem um, whereas if we had been if everyone was a lot more welcome and learned a few words of Chinese just mm -hmm. to get the introduction you know I'm sure you can figure it out mm -hmm. as you go along you don't have to learn Mandarin to C2 level to be able to go over to someone and say hi you know uh, Absolutely. If you do that, then you get those relationships as we've been talking about. And that means that the people from that sub community get exposure to the greater, the grander community, mm -hmm. the, the bigger community, and, and therefore also absorb a lot more English. So it, it goes both, both ways. And I think if you have that kind of welcoming attitude, you're not going to have a dominant language necessarily. I think people are going to stick to their native language, but they're going to be so much better in the in their uh, next language. Yeah, it's all about confidence building. And that's why so much of my focus on building those relationships has been about reconstructing my idea of those imagined communities and the imagined communities of those I'm attempting to engage with. 
and because that's that's all that really changed through my associations was the 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 constructed idea of what they those communities represented and what I actually discovered through minimal efforts in in the language right and that's a, that's another good point perhaps a good one to uh, to wind down the episode on is <laughs> in general language learning you get a lot of mileage out of the first you know 100 words 500 words uh, the first uh, 20 sentences you can get you can do a lot of work with that <laughs> whereas if you know 15,000 words the next 100 are not going to really do much for you so <laughs> that's a that's a really good point absolutely and and I will will reiterate what Irina had to say in in her interview which was to use as as much as you can to use those dribs and drabs of the language because it it all creates that sense of um that sense of shared um community with 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 whoever you're engaging with and it creates that sense of 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 bonding and and laughter and the like when mistakes (laughs) come about (laughs) yes uh to at the expense of me usually but that's okay (laughs) i'm definitely an expert in making making comical mistakes Um, but luckily most of the time i'm the only one who knows it because the native speaker doesn't understand what i'm trying to say and the people who don't speak (laughs) the language don't know what i was going to say so it's totally fine but anyway marcus it was a very deep uh, at the end here but i really enjoyed the uh, conversation and and i i hope that through the efforts of definitely the podcast and also your pursuits and, and the people listening that we can that we can change the world and, and how cultures uh, coexist because uh, I think that the internet and the globaliza- globalization has definitely pushed things in the right direction but there there are still lots of uh, there's still mm-hmm. lots of work to be done and I think if we could all embrace a much more welcoming attitude like your own we can we can have a, a much better tomorrow. Thank you so very much for your kind words, Chris. I think as long as as long as those changes happen indirectly and informally, as long as people take away something from the episode and think about their own position without necessarily taking my own experiences as uh, as an utmost example, I thank you for your kind words on what I'm I'm hoping to achieve here in in my small community and I I thank you for welcoming me into your larger community through the podcast and the blog you're very welcome and uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, to chat with me no worries (laughs) thank you so much for listening to the actual fluency podcast if you want to come on to the podcast and share your language learning story don't hesitate to apply on actualfluency.com forward slash guest see you in the next one